This is the Fatherhood Unlocked podcast, and my name is Dan Doty. I'm a father of three, an outdoorsman, and a meditator, and supporting dads to be the best version of themselves is my highest calling. Fatherhood is the biggest rite of passage in a man's life. It's our biggest opportunity to grow up, to wake up, and to learn who we actually are. I believe that a father's love is the biggest missing vitamin on the planet. This podcast is intended to be a lightning rod to call men to action, to create community, and to set a new tone and standard for what fatherhood means. Welcome to Fatherhood Unlocked. Ted Gonder is a Fatherhood Unlocked alumni. And I would venture to say that he is one very clear example of a dad who is unlocked, very unlocked, and maybe has been unlocked for a very long time. Ted is a father of three, a husband of a brilliant wife, and a tech executive. And he has this wild story in his biography of being taking the very, very fast path to success in his teens and early 20s, finding himself on a panel of advisors in the White House, I believe when he was 21 or 22. Really wild story. Ted has an energy to him, and he uses that energy fully dedicated to his family, intensely dedicated to his work, and also to his health and fitness. Ted also has a passion for supporting dads with their health and fitness and has had a coaching practice on the side to do that exact thing. This is a lovely conversation. I'm really grateful to Ted. And I think that this is an important conversation to just begin to wrestle with the dichotomy between ambition for ourselves, potential ambition for our children. And we go to all kinds of really lovely places in this talk. Before we get to it, the Fatherhood Unlocked Facilitator Training is open for signups. And we are starting in a couple weeks, mid-September. We're growing. This project is happening. I'm super excited. The Fatherhood Facilitator Training will prepare you for a few things. You can step in and become a paid facilitator of Father's Fire, which is our Thursday night online dads group. You can become a facilitator of small groups in our Fatherhood Ready program, which is a boot camp for those about to be dads or brand new dads. And you can also take this work and start a fatherhood group in your area. You can also do nothing with it. You can come, practice, learn, and just grow yourself and be amongst a crew of seriously, seriously good, strong, powerful dads. So you can check that out at dandoty.com slash facilitator training. And if any of those other things are of interest to you, we have a cohort of fatherhood ready open. We are now about to have open enrollment for Father's Fire. And I'll share more about that in the next few weeks. Now, let's go to the conversation with Ted Gonder. I've been thinking to start all these episodes with a dad joke, but I don't have any. <laughs> you? I uh, I recently taught my eight, five, and four-year-olds the diarrhea song. You know that song? Like I think so, yeah. Yeah, when you're yeah. going down a slide and your pants get really wide, diarrhea, cha cha cha. They they got a huge kick out of that. Um, <laughs> most of my dad jokes just go straight to the bathroom. Like I I don't have anything other yeah. than potty humor for them. Yeah, well, we're but they're in boys. Club. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, let's start there. Welcome, Ted. I'm fucking excited to have you here. Why don't you introduce yourself, but also introduce, yeah, introduce your crew. I mean, you don't have to use names or whatever, but tell us about your, tell us about your children, how much you love them. Yeah, man. Thank you. I'm, I'm also really pumped uh, and, and grateful to have the chance to share and, and connect with you in this platform. Um, well, I'm Ted Gonder. I'm uh, 33. I am a dad of three incredible wild boys and a husband to a fierce, uh, powerful woman. Um, my wife's name is Franzi. Uh, I am somewhere, uh, I'm, I'm wading through the pros and cons ethically of sharing my children's faces and names more publicly. So I'm actually going to just hold off on that for now until I have more clarity, but they're, they're eight, five, and four. Um, and they're amazing. And I can tell you more about them. Um, professionally, I, uh, am a startup executive, uh, by day and a coach of sorts, uh, and, and leader of men by night. Um, I have helped a lot of new dads become physically fit and achieve fitness in other areas of their life as well. So that's a huge passion and hobby of mine. Um, and I just draw from a lot of personal experience. My journey into fatherhood and through fatherhood has been an incredible, incredibly meaningful one, um, but has had, uh, I mean, naturally, uh, all kinds of twists and turns and peaks and valleys. Uh, and I think a kind of defining characteristic of who I am is that I try to just extract as much learning and um, wisdom from all the all the small victories and big mistakes that I make along the way. So that's uh, that's what I'm all about. Rad, yeah. <clears throat> Thanks for sharing. I uh, I I guess I don't need to mention this, but you were uh, a participant in one of the first couple cohorts of, of fatherhood unlocked which is now sort of transitioned into all the shit that i got going on now but um i was taking a few notes earlier in preparation and the, and the first phrase that i wrote down was high octane do you think that does that fit <laughs> my, my, my sense of view is that just like you you run a fuel that is uh that burns very clean and very hot mm. and um and I don't, I, you know, again, I might tell me if I'm off, but your just your basic energy levels in life um, seem to be very impressive to me. Mm. Thank you. Uh, it's, it's cool to hear that because I'm going through an exercise right now uh, to reassess my personal core values. Uh, and one of the, one of the methods of getting at that is to ask the people, some of the people who know you best, um, what they love most about the way you show up for them. And so I've been asking a few friends and family members that over the last week, and someone said something similar, um, that there's, yeah, the high octane, really high energy. Um, yeah, I think, I, I think that and is... focused and focused. I, I mean, just, just to sort of feel into a little bit more, just like, uh, not like, a. Not like a a sun exploding over through the galaxy, but just like a you're a bit of a laser beam. Are you a laser beam? I might be. Well, we're all stardust, right? I mean, I am just energy. You could stab a knife through me, and I would die. But the <laughs> atoms themselves would split regardless. Um, um, you seen that David Blaine thing? 
where he goes to like Will Smith and uh and he like Will Smith is like, what's the trick? And David Blaine's like, I have an ice pick. And he like puts his hand on a table and like like stabs an ice pick through his own hand and it doesn't bleed. And then he pulls it back through and it like doesn't hurt. And Will Smith is like, oh my God, like what did you just do? And it's he he found this path inside his hand that has no nerves or veins. And so he just like goes around stabbing it in front of people. It's kind of funny. Shut the fuck up. That's true. That's real. Yeah, it's true. Like, yeah, apparently there's, <laughs> so my son <laughs> got the Guinness Book of World Records uh, for his birthday or Christmas or something. And he, and we were having dinner at, at his grandparents' house, I think. And he's like, did you know in the Guinness Book of World Records, there's this lady that can shove a sword through her stomach and uh, and I thought he was talking about David Blaine style, like straight up yeah. through the oh, skin in the front and out yeah, the back. Yeah. And it turns out it was just the thing that we've all seen it like where she, you know, Swallowing leans her head sword. back and swallows the sword. Yeah. But I and thought that's real, too. Huh? That's, that's like that's actually real. real. I don't I think it's real. It's real. I mean, I can see how it, how it would be real. The sword just has to sure. be really precise, you know. Wow. Well, pretty crazy. Yeah. What a visual journey we just went on there. Yeah. Um, so, all right, Mr. Laserbeam, here's where I'd like to start. I mean, there's a lot of things I want to talk to you about. I really, I want to make sure we really spend some time on, you know, both your, I don't, the way that you, I don't know, create with fatherhood and fitness and, and like longevity in the body. It's, it's, I think is, it's something really special there. So I want to talk a lot about that, but I, I personally am very curious to hear more about, um, yeah, I know you had a a kind of wild ride professionally at a at a very young age, and and mm-hmm. I also know that that abutted against you becoming a dad. And I just want to open some space to hear to hear that story to to hear you talk that through a little bit to start. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, and I think the high octane thing is kind of a uh, a nice lead in to that. Uh, maybe a little bit of the origin story for people who don't know me, because. Um, you know, I, I grew up in a nice middle-class family in a uh, middle-class suburb of Los Angeles. And my parents, I was an only child. My parents had it pretty rough growing up themselves. So they, they put me in a lot of activities, Boy Scouts, swimming, music lessons. And I was always busy, but I think I always felt like kind of a passenger. And so I started acting out and being a real knucklehead, um, getting in a lot of trouble as I, you know, approached adolescence. And in my teenage years, I was I, I wasn't doing well in school. My mom hired a tutor, and this this guy was this really motivated young man at the local community college, who was from Ghana in Africa, and he started coming over to my house and teaching me math several times a week, and he just had a really profound influence on me. He was like kind of the first mentor type figure that I associated with, was spending a lot of time with, and he just he really just knocked some sense into me and. I think um, showed me that I could be smart. Showed me that that could that that I could take control of like the outcomes in my life. Uh, that I could shape my environment. That knowledge could be power. That I wasn't an idiot destined to get you know bad grades on every test. Um, and so I think you know he had an influence on me. And then I ended up because of that because I started turning my life around in high school. I ended up. Um, going to some leadership conferences for high school students. I ended up at a Tony Robbins event 
uh, just like motivational speakers. And I kind of became obsessed with like goal setting and stuff. I really wanted to turn my mm. life around. I, like I was, I was on this path where I like, didn't want to go to college. I like just wanted to like hang out and, and dick around, uh, after school and wasn't listening to any, any authority figures. And, um, and then because of these sets of influences, my, my tutor and these, these other kind of events and conferences and influences that I had, I started getting super focused on like, well, shit, like I only have two or three years left before I can turn my grades around and, and like start doing stuff that's impressive enough to get into a decent college so that I can have a shot at like being surrounded by motivated people and like doing a job that could be cool and high impact at a, at a high level. Right. Like that, that was sort of what my eyes had opened up to that. I could, I could be something if I just applied myself. And so I became pretty obsessed, man. Like I was a pretty on fucking fire 16 year old. Um, yeah. I, I yeah. like delayed my car insurance so that I could go to an SAT boot camp that costs like three wow. grand. It was like 12 hours a day for an entire summer. And, uh, ended up seriously like, for an entire summer. That's fucking an entire hardcore. summer, dude. I, I would wake up at four, go to like, I quit the high school swim team and joined a club <laughs> swim team because I wanted to get good enough at swimming to get a scholarship. So wow. I, I'd wake up at four, drive myself blasting Frank Sinatra and all the windows down. So I wouldn't fall asleep. I'd, I'd like that, like that's on my way. <laughs> I was like on fucking fire, man. I, and I, I drive to swim practice. I'd swim for two hours. I'd go to SAT boot camp, and then after SAT boot camp, I'd drive myself back to swim practice, and then do SAT homework until I pass out, and then repeat the same thing for an entire summer. And I swear to God, I got like twice as smart that summer. Like wow. my like, I started that summer like not very smart, and I ended that summer with almost a perfect score on the SAT. And, Holy shit! Really? Yeah, and I, and and six pack abs because I was swimming like five hours a day. And so I was like, that was just like one of those like core memory formative experiences where I was just like, fuck, like, like if I just focus really, really hard for like a few months, I could do anything. And so, uh, like fast forward, I end up miraculously getting into, um, like the university of my choice, the university of Chicago. And at first I wasn't going to be able to afford to go. And my, I didn't know this at the time. My parents were actually thinking about taking out like a third mortgage on their home. And, um, uh, but they had told me, Hey, we probably can't afford this. And then I ended up getting, this is crazy. This happened on my wife's birthday. I didn't know her at the time, but I ended up getting a letter in the mail, um, saying that I'd been awarded this scholarship that only went to like 0.1% of kids as a merit scholarship because I didn't qualify for financial aid because uh, for a bunch of reasons um, that are kind of silly. And so uh, ended up getting this scholarship and it made everything possible. It was a full tuition merit, like full ride scholarship to the university of my choice. So at this point, was like, that because I, of the SAT shit mostly? The SAT shit got me in the door because like okay. only kids that get like a crazy SAT score, like yeah. get considered at a university like that. Um, but it was because I like I had the swimming thing. Like I, I was pretty fa I was pretty good at swimming. I was a team captain. I like could play an instrument. And then I started this. I started a business, and I also started a nonprofit, like focused on climate change, all during like two years in, wow. <laughs> in high school. And none of it. Uh, the funny thing about it is like you know, not, like the business wasn't anything special. The nonprofit like had some newspaper articles from, from the high schools written about it. But I think it, what it just showed was like massive amounts of initiative and focus. Um, yeah. Not, you were a you fucking know? phenom. You were a I child a, phenom. I've never known crazy. a child like that. 
Yeah, it, like yeah. Yeah. honestly, like to be frank, m- me neither on on such a time frame. Like I like I didn't I had never met anyone that was as berserk as I was during that during that yeah. two year period. Um, and plenty of kids who were a thousand times smarter than me or had done more stuff, but not in a one and a half years. So. Anyway, I get into that university. I head off to Chicago away from my parents. I start this new chapter and I am just like, I'm like, let's go. Like I now, like finally I'm surrounded by kids who are, who are also like, you know, they, they've also, I thought they, they would have also been really focused and whatever. So I'm stoked to be, be in this college environment. And, uh, and luckily I think in the first few months I met this group of guys who, uh, who I'm still really good friends with with almost all of them. Uh, and we had this idea to uh, start a tutoring program for kids in the local inner city uh, on the south side of Chicago. But instead of making the tutoring program focused on academic subjects, we focused it on financial subjects, like how to open a bank account, how to get a job, how to save mm-hmm. money and not spend all of it the second you get your paycheck. And the reason this was a special idea at the time was A, University of Chicago had this has like a really famous economics department. So there are all these like yeah. brilliant undergrads studying economics. Well, here's a way for you to like pay that forward to the local community. And a lot of kids were looking for an opportunity like that. And then the second thing was this is 2008. So all the headlines are like, you know, Lehman Brothers and Bear Stearns crashing, like these bankers, like carrying their computers out the front door, these skyscrapers. And here we are, like the the feeder programs for those banks the kids are the kids who are going to get recruited by those banks are now like working in the inner city teaching this to the communities that were getting hurt the most by the financial crash um mm-hmm. and so what ended up happening is that this volunteer program we started in chicago um just got like it was really like right group of people working on it at the right in the right place at the right time and it got a ton of hype uh and got and you know, we called everyone we knew. We were working on it all the time. We were skipping class and like taking buses to schools to teach these workshops, posting about it on Facebook. And then it started getting in the newspapers and it spread like wildfire across the country. We ended up in like 30 cities. And um, by the time I graduated college, uh, this was like, like we were nominated for this award uh, at the White House that we needed to win a social media competition. We got like hundreds of thousands of people to vote for us and this, and we were featured on MTV. And I was like deciding, should I do this as my full-time job or should I go like be a, a, like an uh, early, like a, like an entry-level employee at some company yeah. like you, like you would yeah. after college. And um, my parents kind of told me, hey, if you can figure out how to, because uh, we're, we're not like rich or anything. They're, they were like, if if you can figure out how to like get yourself a salary, then you can, you know, you have our blessing, I guess, to to go do this as your job. So um, I very quickly learned how to fundraise. I reached out to all these really wealthy, powerful people and got meetings and got rejected by 99% of people that I met with. And, but eventually um, the Blackstone foundation, this huge private equity firm, uh, they have a no like, shit. Phil- Blackstone backed you? Wow. So they were like our first backer, like our first serious wow. backer. And they gave us 50 grand to hire a program director, not me, but like to hire someone to help me. And mm. once they, once they became a donor, 
Um, I emailed everyone who had said, no, you're too young or it's a bad idea or what, like yeah. all, all their other hesitations. And like almost all those no's turned into maybe let's meet again. Um, and that's, that's how it all started. And that was when I was 22. So what's crazy is that um, basically right, right after that, things started taking off. Like we started getting like calls and donations from a lot of other big Wall Street banks and their foundations and other like, uh, you know, like Gates Foundation level people started reaching out and wanting to have conversations, learn what we're all about. What was it uh, called, it, Ted? Before it's you called go money, any further, it's called Money Think, uh, and it's still money around think. today. We now yeah. now it's we've morphed into a tech solution that helps college counselors help students uh, make make good financial decisions around the their aid options. Um, oh. So it's still going, still backed by the Gates Foundation. Um, but anyway, man, like you you had asked, like you know, what was the where was the high octane energy from, and yeah, and yeah. how did what was the lead up to my um, head first dive into fatherhood. And this was, this was the story, man. It was, it was just, I was like maniacally obsessed with making this organization take off and, and reach escape velocity. And, um, uh, and we did. And, and then I ended up getting um, like the, the sort of peak is that in, in 2000, or like when I was like 24 or something, uh, I ended up getting appointed onto this white house council uh, of like an advisory council. So I was like this 24 year old kid, um, with a nonprofit. And I was on this council of like 10 or 12 other people, like the CEO of visa, the secretary of education, the secretary of the treasury. And we were like in these meetings once or twice a quarter coming up with like policy decisions on how to incorporate financial education into American public schools. It was like pretty, pretty crazy. Damn. That's so cool. Jesus. Yeah. So like wild, wild career start. Yeah, no kidding. 24. All right. And so my question there is that process, that crazy fast. I'm just curious, like, if you would break, so take a snapshot of you at 24, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, like, had you matured? Were you still a fucking boy? Was there parts of you that were growing into a man? I'm just, Mm. I'm just so curious. That's such a, that's so much uh action i can see mm-hmm. it I, it doesn't not make sense to me i'm just but i am just curious like what parts accelerated what parts of you accelerated and what parts maybe didn't yeah man wow beautiful question um i think <laughs> i think that it would have been a really one-dimensional journey where i would have had a lot of professional growth but personal spiritual atrophy if I had not met probably the most or second most important man I've ever had in my life, which was my Aikido sensei. Mm. Uh, I met him when I was 20. Uh, He was a professor uh, in a class that I opted into. And um, he, he also had an Aikido dojo and uh, I really took to him as my professor, I learned a lot from him. I, I just really, I wanted to be his understudy and, uh, I, and I let him know that. And, uh, then I started joining his Aikido classes and I became pretty obsessed with that martial art and, um, just started spending like any spare time I had with him. Uh, I became his, like basically his personal assistant. 
we went on flights to different conferences around the world together. Um, and uh, he, I think, was probably the, the biggest single influence in helping me mature in like as a mm -hmm. like like move from an immature wounded masculine to a more mature masculine um version of myself uh, a big part of that was that there was a lot of anger and repression like you know put, pull any man aside on the street <laughs> uh and you'll you'll hear something like that and there was a lot of anger and wounded repression um, that I had, you know, just from growing up as a boy in America. I had, you know, media influences, what a man should be, uh, always insecurity about whether I was going to be man enough. Um, I had a, a lot of sort of micro traumatic experiences in romantic relationships as a, as a boy. Basically, I, I was this like uh, romantic little little red faced freckled toothless boy that continually fell in love with all these little girls and would make public displays of like, I love you. Will you be my girlfriend? And then just get shut down and humiliated in front of like everyone at the uh. school like, over and over. And, and this was all stuff I had just kind of swallowed and, uh, and, and rolled up into like swimming races and more, like yeah. boxing and other really aggressive, um, outlets which which served me but with aikido and with my sensei whose name was don levine uh what i learned was like there's a cleaner fuel kind of back to what you were saying before is like i yeah. think i had been burning a lot of angry fuel there's a lot of like just a lot of like ego um like let me let, i'll show you kind of fuel and um uh and he was like hey you know in in aikido there is there's just energy that's flowing there is no yeah. winning and losing. There is no failure or success. Uh, and everyone is a partner. There's no opponent. That's like, there's no adversary. There's no fight. You are like, it's just energy, man. And you're just at like, every moment is just learning and practice. And the idea is just to have fun and stay present. And that shit blew my mind. Um, because mm -hmm. I, like, so you got you an know, early, you you got yeah. some real serious early mindfulness and presence massive. training, basically. Yeah. Massive. And it affected Do you watch Cobra Kai? Man. This is the most important question I have for you today. Interrupting for a minute to tell you about intentional fathering. Intentional fathering is an audio course for you to consume at your leisure. It involves meditations, challenging questions to wrestle with, challenges to go put in place in your family and in your life. It is a deep dive, introspective journey to really take the time to think through what would it mean to be a dad? What would it mean to father with more intention, with more awareness, with more consciousness around who you are and what you're up to? Proud of this. Been getting great feedback. Check it out at dandody.com. Go under the fatherhood tab and you'll find intentional fathering audio course. Do you watch yeah. Cobra Kai? <laughs> I, I, I watched, I, I binge watched Cobra Kai a couple of years ago. And, uh, and I remember having a pretty, I had two reactions to it. One was, damn, this is entertaining. And the other yeah. was uh, like, this is not how martial arts should be taught. Um, no, no. Yeah. I, I, so I don't, I don't think I've ever talked martial arts, but I was, um, I was in Taekwondo for eight years as a, oh, younger cool. than you. So, you know, like basically eight to 16. And um, 
So Cobra Kai actually hit pretty close to him. My, mm-hmm. my, my guy was Master Mike, and he uh, he's not unlike Johnny. He wasn't quite that much of a shithead, but mm-hmm. uh, amazing. All right, that's really cool. I didn't know I didn't know about the Aikido at all. Do you still practice, or where, where has that gone? Well, that's one of those funny things about uh, becoming a father to young children is that you do have you have to make some choices about how you spend your time, and unfortunately. Well, I don't need to say that. The one choice I made that I'm like mildly, temporarily, slightly sad about, but it it's not permanent, is that I did I have like taken taken a mm-hmm. a, a break from time on the mat. But one thing that Don always told me is that um uh you can do Aikido anywhere. You can do meditation anywhere, you can do yoga yeah. anywhere, yeah. uh, you can be sitting on the bus and talking to someone and that's aikido if you're doing it in a certain in a a conscious way so i just try to remember that that's wild man and so yeah now the and and you had your first kid at 25 right weren't you yeah 25 yeah i was 25 so So i got appointed onto this like white house council and mind you i had never i had i had never even thought about having kids right i had um my i i met my current wife when i was 22 or 21 right right as all this money think stuff was taking off and we were long distance um and i, I we had a conversation i think in 2013 on the floor of my apartment where she was like do you want kids cuz i really want kids and uh and i was like i've never thought about that and she's like i need an answer <laughs> um <laughs> And, uh, and it was this funny, like, it was, it was like a very tense moment, but in retrospect, it was this funny little momentary negotiation where I was like, I've never thought about it. How about like eight years from now? And she's like, she's like one year from now. I'm like six. She's like two. I'm like five. She's like three. And then we like settle it like three or four years from now, we would like, we'd consider having kids and even that scared me. And so what's funny is like a year and like a year after that, um, we had advanced our relationship a lot and uh, and had closed the distance. And I'd just gotten onto this, I, I'd been on this White House Council and was super busy. I was like flying around every week, fundraising and speaking and and stuff. Uh, and then uh, <laughs> basically we just, we realized she, she was pregnant and we like mm-hmm. didn't, um, it wasn't, it wasn't planned uh, and you know, that was a decision that we faced. Uh, and I'm really proud of the way we faced it. Uh, and that was, that was the decision to have our first baby. Man, you really, you really lived as much or more life in, in your first 25 with that. It seems like that really concentrated chunk of 16 to 25, then many people go to the grave. And I don't mean that in a qualitative way. I'm not, I'm not Mm -hmm. trying to say one thing is better than anything else, but Holy shit. I don't know what else yeah. to say other than holy shit. Like I know. I, I, yeah. I mean, yeah. I know how it felt to, you know, have my my first in my arms at I think I was 33. So not that much older, right? But yeah. I don't know. And maybe maybe I'm maybe I'm off here, but like I I look at 25-year-olds as just barely not children almost. Yeah. Do yeah. you? I I mean, you're only you're, you're I, I do. After, yeah. I I do. And I think I think that uh that there were parts of me that were 
where that's like the that app absolutely fits the description man i didn't know how to fold my clothes i didn't know how to like i like i barely knew how to wash dishes like I, there were all kinds of things where uh i was just like completely underdeveloped there were huge parts of me relationally because i had had the you know i i didn't have many like really any like long-term girlfriends i just had all these sort of fits and starts in my romantic yeah. life um and then i met this incredible woman and and it just everything clicked but um like i didn't i didn't have many chances uh to develop that that part of me um and so i mean there were definitely parts of me that were still very boyish uh, at 25 i think like i said i think the I, I was I was lucky in a way to just go hardcore into the deep end with a lot of professional responsibility and yeah. um and like a, an elder elderly wise man who I respected to like guide me through the the parts of it that were really confusing to me. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. How so what, go ahead. What what's like I've always been curious if it's okay for me to ask you, like, yeah, please, you know, you, you have often talked about how you have, you have this like meditation practice. You come from this like lineage of a certain type of Buddhist meditation. And there's something very sacred about the way you describe that. Um, like at what point in your life did that, did that come to come to you? Yeah. Like, yeah. How did yeah, that shape, totally. shape you? And like, when did that come? Yeah. Well, I'll, yeah, I'll give you a quick sort of bio bio in that area. I mean, so a lot of that stuff, not formally at all, was alive as a pretty little kid. I was pretty obsessed with eternity and death and shit like that. Yeah. Um, but then martial arts started young. And, you know, we did, I don't, I don't know if we ever actually meditated in Taekwondo. I don't know if we ever really talked about it. I guess that just felt like a lot of discipline, you know, discipline yeah. and focus and really good really good stuff came from that but um i don't know it, starting right after my normal four years of college i i did the wilderness guiding thing right and i spent a just a shit ton of time out in nature and i began to meditate informally there i formally stumbled into a practice to meditation practice i think i was 27 in, in new york city so 14 years ago 14 or 15 mm -hmm. years ago now and um just really took to it. I, I had a really major turning point at 27, 28, where uh, I blew my life up and, uh, you know, found my first men's group and found my meditation sangha and went to Peru and, you know, started therapy and just like, really like a massive reorientation at that age. So, so that's when the formal practice began. Can I ask a crazy question? The, the, mm -hmm. Some of your, I don't know, some of your listeners might, <laughs> might be like opening a mm -hmm. Pandora's box was the, but I listened to one of your podcast episodes that when you were on Kyle Kingsbury's podcast and yeah. uh, you talked about this experience where you actually had a, I think it was an LSD psycho, like elongated psychosis in your twenties was this like the, where, it was ayahuasca. Yeah. Oh, was it ayahuasca? Was that was yeah. the moment where you blew your life up and got into meditation and men's group stuff before or after this like before. elongated psychosis? <laughs> it was okay. before. Okay. Yeah. No, I I found myself uh conceiving of myself as a very um caring and kind and honest person, you know, cheating on my 
cheating mm-hmm. on my long-term girlfriend and complete, I was a New York city teaching fellow. So I, was, mm-hmm. I, I had been a wilderness guide for a long time. Then I moved to New York and was teaching, teaching in the Bronx and getting my master's degree at night and um, with zero fucking human skills, right. In terms of <laughs> relational skills or emotional skills. Or anything. <laughs> Which is Just crazy all... because you, you had been a wilderness guide, right? So like, I mean, well, like, Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. I, I, I could, I was good at that role, right? But I didn't turn it on myself, you know, mm-hmm. at, at that, but by that time in life, you know, I did have good, that's, it's interesting. I, I love hearing about your mentor in Aikido, because I, I did have really f- fantastic mentors. None of them were long, other than Master Mike as a kid, none of them mm-hmm. lasted that long, right? But I, mm-hmm. but I had wonderful bosses, I had wonderful uh, colleagues. I had this dude named Ben Woodbeck, uh, who I, who I led a bunch of trips with, and he was probably 10 years older than me. And he was into Buddhist meditation. He climbed Himalayan peaks and, um, I don't, I had good mentorship, but not, you know, I guess maybe it just wasn't, I didn't get to the point where it became a, a liability to not, uh, have my own fucking feelings. Right. I, I don't know. Like I, I somehow skipped over that until, until my late twenties. And it's just all, yeah, I just, I, I sunk, man, you know, the boat sunk mm-hmm. for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't imagine having become a dad at that age. Right. You know, it, it, like I just, I, mm-hmm. I mean, it would have been a wild journey. So um, I had a huge ramp, I would say from that point at right. 27, 28, to, I had my first at 33, um, tell me what happened for you. What changed for you? How did you change in the, in the, the, the first year, a couple of years of, of being a dad? Interesting. I've never actually thought about this question. Um, so it's more, I'm just observing myself in retrospect of what actually happened. Um, there's one thing that's, that is, extremely obvious like the before and after which is you know all those the stories of me waking up at four in the morning and swimming five hours a day and trying to get a scholarship being in great shape that continued about until like my second year of college uh and then work just became all consuming and yeah. uh i i was still doing aikido um but my fitness habit and like the way I was eating and taking care of myself just became like really secondary. I was just riding on the fact that I was like 20 and could kind of get away with anything. And so by the time I was 24 and flying around and on this white house council and um, now, you know, having a baby on the way uh, I found my hair was starting to fall out. Um, I was having stomach aches, just randomly. I was having headaches randomly. I was drinking a lot of wine and I was drinking a lot of coffee. And it was just like this cycle of um, trying to downregulate and upregulate myself. uh, And I wasn't really aware of any of these habits or behaviors or how they were affecting me. Um, not a lot of interoception, I would say. Uh, and then, uh, and then my first son was born and I, and it was, I think the process of like 
really looking at him and and coming into connection and understanding with the whole like circle of life concept right like whoa yeah. like here he is i've got a couple decades with him at home and then he's going to be big and then maybe he'll have kids and how do i want to feel for all of that and what are all the things i want to do with him like i don't want to just you know sit in the stadium of the of his like soccer games and the rest of the time sit in offices and be too tired at the end of the day it's like no like i want to like climb through the tubes at the playground with him at mcdonald's or i want to yeah. like we don't go to mcdonald's that much but like any playground um i and i want to like i want to like learn jujitsu with him like one 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 thing i wish i'd done more of when i was younger was like try mma because i i love mma yeah. uh and, but i i never got good at it myself and so like I want to, I'm still young. Like I want to learn jujitsu with him. I want to like, like play at his level, whatever sport he chooses and get better at the rate he's getting better at. Like, these are all like, I love this stuff. That's so fun, but I can only do it if my body stays healthy. And my wife also like, um, she's really health conscious and she wanted to like lose a few pounds after the first pregnancy. And, uh, and so we we both started working out together and doing these little like hit workouts. It's like insanity program. It's kind of like P90X, uh, but you don't need equipment. We started doing these uh, intensity like interval workouts in the backyard while our son was like sitting in his little vibrating Fisher Price Fisher Price rocking chair, and we didn't have any TV in any TV. We lived in this tiny apartment in, uh, and we put on our laptop with like a ripped video from this fitness program. And we would just do the same video over and over every day, like once a day. And we cleaned up our diet. We went on some like version of like paleo uh, eating. And we both just like felt great, man. We just like her, yeah. her weight flight yeah. off. I, I could start to see my muscles. I was like gaunt at the time. Like friends of mine who'd known me for a while thought I had like, like some terminal illness um, before before this. And I just got in like really good shape and I started to feel awesome all the time. And I, and I like stopped drinking. Uh, I like cut way back on caffeine. Um, and I just became obsessed with it. And then I, I ended up like going and get, getting certified in CrossFit and it like became a fitness personal trainer on the side. And, um, it was all just because I was like, really, I just loved fitness yeah. all of a sudden. And, yeah. and it, it was like this, this positive feedback loop of the more I train, the more I learn, the more, the more energy I have to like have fun with myself and with my family. Um, and then I started involving my kids in it. So like we got a running stroller, started, you know, running with my son in the stroller. Uh, I'd like go to a playground and while he was playing in the sand, I'd be like doing pull-ups on the monkey bars. Uh, and, and I just tried to like every chance I could, I could, I would, I would get, get a little workout in. Um, and it worked out great. Uh, and and that has stuck until today. Um, Love it. So so yeah. let's let's put a pin. We'll come right back to that. I have more questions. I want to hear more, but I can't. I got to ask this one so I don't lose it. What? I mean, what do you like? I know it started at sixteen with the the mentor and stuff like that. But clearly, you had. Um, I don't know. It seems like you had a pretty good foundation to start from. How how were you parented? Like, 
I don't know. Mm -hmm. it, am I am I right in thinking or sniffing around feeling that, you know, some solid level of just intact self was available to you? Dude, you're you're totally right. You're totally right. And and uh, I started my story from 16, but I mean, really, my my story starts with like I have two incredible parents. Um, my uh, my mom and my dad were both. Um, born in like my mom I think was born in kind of like a lower middle class family and my dad was born into a very poor family um like that was basically on food stamps uh and he had like eight brothers and sisters um none of them went to college except for him uh he basically had to run away from home to to go to college on his own and uh my mom was similar like she she was sort of the the one in her family that that had the most initiative and she was told that she could be a nurse or uh or a secretary or a teacher so she chose to be a nurse um and that like they were really cycle breakers man like the yeah yeah they they had to put up with a lot of hard stuff uh from their parents and their grandparents and their communities when they were young and they they like took hard right turns to give me a childhood that would kind of protect me from any of the stuff they had to deal with. Um, and they, you know, they, their, their shields took those arrows. Um, yeah. And, and so like, like I said before, they were like, you know, we're going to have one kid. We're going to give that kid all the opportunities we never had. We're going to hold down stable jobs as a nurse and an IT specialist. And we're just going to like, you know, like put that kid in boy Scouts, keep him off the streets and try to keep him busy. And yeah, and man. they did, man. And and so I got yeah. to I got I got all kinds of cool enrichment activities. Um, I think I think what might have been just missing, and I, like part maybe this is because I'm like a such a I don't know maybe I'm like a high octane character and I had a high need for emotional connection or something. Um, but I think they're like like a lot of adolescents have. When I reached like 11, 12, 13, I just felt really misunderstood by by everyone it wasn't just by yeah. my parents and and yeah. um and i just sort of like got really angry and kind of depressed and just only wanted to like play video games and um and get into trouble and and i actually ended up joining a boxing gym i i didn't say that but that was that was the first thing that really uh that like preceded the whole tutoring experience um got it. I, yeah. I went to a boxing gym and there were there were these like these guys who kind of um, they were like a positive masculine influence that I, that I, of a kind that I hadn't had exposure to before that. Sure. Yeah. The reason I asked the question about the foundational stuff is I could imagine hearing this podcast and being like, I, I would be proud of a son. I like, I would be proud of having a son like Ted who went and did all this stuff. Right. And it seems to be healthy and proactive and all, all of this shit. So I, you know, that I also, want to sort of levy that into a question which is do you as a dad what if one of your kids just wants to chill <laughs> how are you gonna feel um, man yeah oh man um so i'm gonna tell you a crazy story okay um uh -huh. we have three sons and they're all awesome in their own ways naturally even even if I try to hold back and not not be the tiger dad uh, that's like encouraging my kids to go achieve cool shit, even if I try not to, it still comes through. And 
So do you know what an Akashic reading is? Yeah, Have you ever heard of the Akashic records? No. Oh, yeah. um, so it's kind of like it's kind of like a psychic reading, but different in a lot of meaningful ways. And I've always I've been pretty skeptical of like psychics and horoscopes and stuff. But we have we have our our middle son um, has had uh, he's a special special guy. He's had a very very extreme case of eczema since he was born rashes all over his body uh constantly crying as a baby um and has struggled with a lot a lot as a young child um it's it's really affected parts of his quality of life and he also um uh he he also came out crying uh and did not want to come out um when he was born and he he was very dissatisfied little baby. He was always mm-hmm. crying, always wanting wanting to do something. Never seemed very settled. Um, and then he also uh, he he stood up when he was six months old. He was climbing ladders when he was seven months old. He taught himself to ride a scooter at a year and a half. Uh, he was running faster than his almost as fast as his brother, who's twice his age, um, and and he's like the most one of the most athletic five-year-olds i've i've ever seen mm-hmm. and i'm not like bragging it's just like it's one of these things that's just unexplainable and so we got an akashic record reading reading for him because when he was two he had never heard about africa we don't have any books about africa that we should, probably should he we'd never talked about africa when he was two he started talking about his life in africa and we're like what like he could barely speak and he was talking about africa and we're like, where did he hear about Africa? What's he? And he's like, and he would tell these stories about how all his animals in Africa died and there were fires and there was death. And he he would get really like Holy sad. Um, and we're like, what is he talking about? And so event, and at first we were like, we thought it was cute. We're like, oh my God, Benji's talking about Africa again. How cute. He'd be talking about like kitty cats in Africa. And then, and then like it kept going. So we, we ended up uh, getting an akashic record reading about him and it it they told us that he had in fact had like we didn't tell the the akashic record reading people the person we didn't tell her uh that he had been talking about africa we just said here's our second son what is what do the records say about him and she's like he was a tribal leader in africa and um in his later years, he got some form of dementia or something like that. And uh, half the people in his tribe uh, stopped trusting him. And um, he and, and the tribe started to faction and war. Uh, and there was a civil war that broke out and he was heartbroken about it. And um, and there were fires and <laughs> everyone died. Um and Holy he and, and he died in a, in a state of extreme heartbreak and uh so and so this life for him now is about him chilling and recovering and not having an agenda and just letting all of that stuff settle and process because he was not quite ready to come into this life just yet um because of the way his last life ended and both of us are sitting there on the on the call, like crying, like bawling, like oh my god! Uh, and 
So, you know, when you, you ask this question, like, what if one of our kids yeah. just wants to chill or dick around? Um, <laughs> <He does. laughs> that, that was a life, that was a chain, uh, a big moment for me because I think every child is different, man. Like our, yeah. our yeah. eldest son is, uh, is a competitive fireball and he loves it when, when I feed into that. Um, yeah. like, yeah. Uh, you know, I cheer for him in soccer games and he like, he just eats it up man and and so you know he's gonna he's gonna have that path and it's okay that i push him um our second son is actually like arguably may have more natural athletic talent but i am really refraining from pushing him on anything and letting him just choose because Mm -hmm. because of this whack-ass psychic reading we had (laughs) that, that was like I'm I'm placing a big bet that some part of it w- like had truth to it, um, and uh, and I think I think you know even if even if all the stories aren't actually true and it's all all coincidence, the thing that we've learned about eczema is that um, as much as as much as like lotion and and uh, I don't know diet changes and allergies and stuff can affect these mm-hmm. skin outbreaks, the the biggest thing that has an effect on on the rashes and the scratching and the itchiness is actually his nervous system it's the stress the stress levels that he's feeling um it's the mirror neurons that he's getting from people around him so if we we notice that when we put pressure on him of any kind or when when he gets pressure from preschool or his brothers he'll start to feel really itchy and when he can just sit alone listening to ed sheeran with headphones on and playing lego uh, he, it, he like it's as if he has n- nothing at all, like no itchiness. Um, so I'm not human pushing... exist. <laughs> human existence is just fucking wild, huh? We know I nothing. Mean, we know nothing. Well, I, yeah, right. Two two thoughts came out. One, the reason I asked that question about chilling in the first place is that you know it's so easy to. Uh, the qualities that you've expressed about yourself, right? And, and the story of your young life and your success, right? I mean, it fits the narrative, right? Like that's, that's fucking bullseye as to what, you know, potentially what's a, a one version of real success, right? In our culture, yeah. in this day yeah. and age. And, and I can, I can imagine, I mean, even feel in myself, you know, it's just like, I can, as a parent, as a father, you know, it would, it is, it could be so easy to, consciously or subconsciously fall into the trap of like okay here's what success means and you know how how can we support our little ones to go in that direction right so that that was the reason that i I brought it up um and well the second thing though is i mean isn't it fucking crazy how like i i kind of have a prediction or maybe it's just a hope that in the next X amount of years, these seemingly you called it whack ass, right? So I mean, just to highlight, right? <laughs> you you both named it as what seems like something important enough to make a fundamental decision on how to parent your child and called it whack ass in the same like 30 seconds, right? Yeah. And so there's this really interesting sort of distrust we have collectively of types of practices like i mean i'm married to a, a fucking psychic channel man that's that's my that's right. our life that's my wife's work and right. um and it's interesting right because it's not it's not 
mainstream at all not even fucking close right to the point of it's 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 you know can be scary or even inappropriate at times to to share about it and it fundamentally changes people's fucking lives because it brings a resonance of something that we don't get very many others like you know think about like in ancient greece going to the oracle to fucking you know, like that was the the in some sense the center of of decision making in in mm-hmm. in some recounting of it, and in many ancient cultures, that part of society, the the wise woman was who the who people consulted for all of the major decisions, right? So right. anyway, I just right. it's such a such a absolutely, wild. absolutely, and the, and and and. Uh... It's funny because I, I I said whack ass almost in a way of a little like tongue in cheek, right? Like making fun mm-hmm. of pointing poking fun at myself for having thought that it was gonna be whack ass, and then yeah. <laughs> like getting steamrolled by the it, like intense clarity that it gave me. Um, yeah, yeah, it's crazy. There's a That's connection. Cool. I- there's a connection to something something bigger that is outside of ourselves and also inside of ourselves. And I think that in 2023, we're so distracted from both of those things. We're distracted from like the somatic internal interoceptive connection of just like, what's my body telling me when I'm grounded and connected with myself. And then we're also distracted from like, you know, an an avatar, they call it Awa, right? Like what is mother nature telling me? Like what is, what does the wisdom of the world have to offer here? Because we're just, we're in our phones. We're like, think we're worried about, you know, what's on the screen, what's coming tomorrow. Like we're so afraid about all these things that aren't actually existential threats. We're obsessive over our like mistakes of the past. Um, So it's really hard to actually have these sources of wisdom. And when they come, even if they're wrong, it, it feels magical because it feels like yeah because we never we never really get that exposure yeah 100 percent. yeah i like i love i love placing two different seemingly uh i don't know diagonal data points together especially in the context of fatherhood right it's very much what i'm what i'm after in this whole this whole inquiry right the Mm. you know to be a uh, a successful worldly uh you know human and to wrestle with what the fuck is an akashic record and how come it's you know how come it you know you know i mean it's it's yeah. just two two of the many notes i think that we have this opportunity to wrestle with as parents and not just as parents but i but it 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 comes to bear as a parent right like these are yeah. fucking huge these are huge questions yeah what would you do if one of your if one of your kids was just was just chilling like how do you think about like put the balance between like pushing your kids to excel and succeed versus letting them just unfold at their own pace and and when does that become when does that become like at what age does that become uh, uh something where you think you need to put your foot on the gas pedal more yeah great question i mean yeah i i i will just answer what comes up i mean the first thing that comes up which I don't think it's an actual screen for answering your actual question, but I am pretty obsessive lately about 
answering that question in the face of a future that I really do think is going to be so fucking different. You know, like, I don't know, maybe a lot of our basic values and morals will stay in place, right? Maybe our basic way of life will stay in place. But God, I actually fucking don't know man you know Mm -hmm. so that complicates it for me you know let's 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 play i'll play the question in the case that you know that my children would have roughly a similar i don't know path as a time path as i did right i would say i think what's most important to me is that there's a, a a clear consistent basis of recognizing their truth or as close to their truth as we can decipher right mm-hmm. and I, I, that that seems foundational to me i think that um i would like to allow for you know natural inquiry and passion and and choice to sort of lead my children but looking at my three children i see how that will work for maybe two of them but not for one you know it's so mm-hmm. so I mean, I think the 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 best answer I could give is it's it it seems to be quite individualized. And then the other answer is I don't know how much I fucking care about mm-hmm. worldly success. I care about uh basic capacities and skill sets so my kids can be fucking functional in as many yeah. ways as possible, you know, financially, emotionally, sexually, spiritually, fucking all relationally, all of the things, right? So I guess I see my own personal role is how can I do my best to equip experience and knowledge and, and uh, all the things to, to be like base level functional as many parts of life as possible. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. It's yeah. I, I I'm thinking a lot about it too. Right. Because like AI is like the, it's like the, the theme of the year uh, for, like stuff that's coming across my newsfeed and yeah. I, and I start to wonder like, wow, it's, I mean, my, my kids aren't at the age yet where they have to be writing essays, but I hear about kids using chat GPT to write, to do like long form homework assignments. And on the one hand, I'm like, wow, that's like incredibly powerful. And it's really great that, that young people are like learning how to partner with this technology. Cause it's like, it's like wearing a mech suit, right? It's like, that it's yeah. so uh it's so empowering and it's like if you can't it, it's literally like if you can't beat them join them you like it, it'll be sink or swim like the future is going to be people who know how to like work with ai and understand yeah. how to like deploy it and and partner with it or it's or, or people who don't that are going to sink in, in one way or another um well, so I haven't I'm thought like, about this before, but think about this. Our children at the age they are, which are roughly similar ages, yeah, may be the last humans born, roughly the last crop of humans born before the big change comes. Yeah. I, and it's what, really yeah. crazy. Yeah. It's, and I, you know, for me, I, I mean, we'll see. Like, uh, I, I'm going to have to go along on this ride too, but there is part of me that feels like, I think it was pretty, I used to think this and it was naive changing my thoughts about it, but I used to think that we're going to need to ramp our humanity in equivalent amounts as tech, but that's not possible. <laughs> I mean, well, right. maybe it is. I, I don't know. You know. What do you mean? Like make, make more babies? What do you mean? No, I just mean be more human. I mean, uh, actually uh, like like feel like more. Be, 
yeah, just be actually fucking yeah. like all the way more human, you know, in yeah. order to ballast the the external. But fucking who knows, man? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It's hard. I just yeah, I just uh it's it's a little bit too outside of our control to to really know what's gonna happen in like 50 years from now. But what I do know is like I need I need some answers around like what the best way to supplement my child's education is going to be um, yeah yeah because you know like like okay like i said like yeah you can use chat gpt to do your homework but then how do you learn critical thinking like how do you learn to how like how do you learn to pick apart an argument or like you know certain yeah. things only happen when you actually sit and focus and let your thoughts yeah. form for you know an hour or longer uh without being distracted by tiktok and that's just it's like a whole a whole world that I'm seeking wisdom on and I don't have any good sources. Yeah, I'm trying to think of I'm sure there are historical analogs. It'd be interesting to do this. Like like there there's schisms that must occur like when fucking fire was harnessed and the wheel was invented and and the the ox drawn plow, right? Like the generations, like that flip of generation you know, in the context of parent to child is, mm -hmm. I don't know. It's just, it's just constantly on my mind right now. I, you know, it, what we're our best answer at this point, which in no way do I think is probably the most helpful, but it's, it's like uh, with your hands in the dirt, in the garden, yeah. you know, yeah. on the land, like face to face, human contact, relational skills, you know, because if we, that that is one place where I think um I don't know yet how AI will will sort of make its inroads into human connection, but potentially mm -hmm. it will, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man. Yeah. Um well let's let's reshift to uh, please, I'm, I'm getting I, too scared. Yeah, me too. Let's let's shift in. Well, how about <laughs> let's put it in this context? If the machines come for us, we better be fucking buff and ready to fight. Yeah. Um, so let's go just a little bit for the last 10, 12 minutes, um, back to the fitness shit. I want to, I want to know we've done, we've actually done some work together. So I do know how you work. I like how you work, but yeah, give me the fucking, you did a little bit earlier, but give me the pitch on getting dads in shape. Look, man, like, okay. <laughs> There's this video out there, uh, that, that I saw going around like six months ago. And it's of this parent. I don't know if it was a mother or father. I think it was a mother, but it doesn't matter. And this person is like wearing super tight jeans, has a stroller, is extremely overweight. And who knows, maybe they have medical condition, right? Like, like, I'm, like they're like, I'll be sensitive to the whole situation, but on, the video itself is abundantly clear. Here's what happens. This parent wearing skinny jeans, super overweight, like falls down, slips, and the stroller starts lurching toward a uh, like a like a highway, basically. And there are cars going uh, like a hundred, like eighty miles an hour uh, in both directions on this two-way highway. And the stroller is just like racing toward the highway. And there's a dude who's sitting on a bench, like eating a burger or something. I don't know what he's doing, but he's in great shape. And he runs, like sprints toward the stroller and is able to save this baby's life, right? there, There's another video of this guy in an African country in a city 
uh, and there's a kid like hanging out at, like off a off a balcony, and this guy like literally like does pull ups and muscle ups up the side of this building from balcony to balcony and scales the building, and is like the only person who saves this kid from falling to his death. Now it's not every day that like you know you need some uh, male hero in great shape to save a child from dying, um, purely through physical courage or capability. But in my experience, there have been a ton of moments as a dad where being in great shape has been incredibly helpful. Uh, everything from like carrying the stroller with sleeping children in it up hundreds of stairs in a foreign city. So my wife wouldn't have to, to, uh, like being able, like, you know, being able to, uh, uh, climb down into like deep into a, like a pit in a forest when my kid hurt himself so that I could carry him out. Um, like just so many different moments where being in great shape has like helped, like has literally made everything better about the situation, uh, for my child, my family, another kid, another parent's child who, whether the other parent wasn't in good enough, sh good enough shape to get on their hands and knees and help. Um, and then there's so many fun things too, man, like the amount of joy that I have gotten to experience and that my boys have gotten to experience because I'm lit, I'm like the sole dad on the playground still to this freaking day. Like I'm the only dad that is playing tag with every child on yeah. the playground when I'm there, like, where is everyone else? Like they're sitting on benches, scrolling Instagram, talking, like gossiping with each other. It's like what most of the other parents are doing. And uh, like I'm playing, I'm having such a great time with all these kids, including my own. <laughs> um, and, and it's just going to continue, man. And, and then like longevity is another reason, right? So like, I don't want this all to end when, when like my kids are out of the house, like I want to then go climb mountains with them and do crazy shit with them and go surfing with them when they're in their twenties. Like I want, like when they come home for winter break during uh, like during college or whatever, I want to go snowboarding with them. Like there, there are so many fun bonding activities that happen when, when you're being physical, camping, backpacking, whatever the fuck it is. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. and then like, you know, let's be honest, like in your relationship, there's something really powerful about like becoming increasingly fuckable to your partner and having your partner do the same. And like the attractiveness that comes purely by it continually investing in yourself. Like I've become more attracted to my wife when I know she's investing in herself and she becomes more attracted to me when she sees me doing that. So there are just so many reasons to, to get fit. The hard part is that when you become a dad, all of a sudden you have like no time. Uh, yeah. And so, and you're tired all the time because you don't sleep enough, but usually, uh, so it like it health is often like the first thing that gets deprioritized at the exact moment when it should become like close to the top priority. Yeah. What do you uh actually well I'll ask the question in a second but I just had a really proud moment uh, like 10 days ago we went back to my parents in Minnesota and they live on a creek between two lakes and um you can paddle you know we got they got a paddle board and kayaks and a canoe and my but one of my closest buddies and I, they were staying there with us, and we took our oldest. So my son is seven, and and his oldest was almost six, and we took him canoeing, and got out onto the lake. And it was it's this big, shallow flat, right? Probably two feet deep, 
And we put the boys in the canoe and gave them the paddles and stepped away yeah. and watched as these kids, you know, paddled like really fucking well. It was it's just like such a great moment. And in that moment, um, a very, very, very clear vision of a massive Alaska expedition with my children, you know, probably, I don't know, 13 years from now. You know, I just, I have like a North star in it it, that, that, that hasn't, it's, it's fun, man. It's fun to envision. Um, you know, my kids are just getting to the age now where we can really, really get after it, you know, like adventure is something that is a, a, like a clear high, high of highest value to me. And Mm -hmm. the first chunk of fatherhood to me was a different kind of adventure, not the kind that I, you know, used to plan for and go Mm -hmm. do so. Anyway, that's that's really motivating for me to uh, to connect some of my biggest passions with uh, and and to think about what's needed, right, to get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Actually, but totally. so yeah, what give, give us just a what's a quick bag of tricks for for dads? I mean, I I know some of them, but what do you um how do you how do you help dads get through the sticky sticky points of and and prioritize this? Yeah, well. I, I would say there are like three three um, critical components to dad fitness. Uh, the So in order of importance, I would rank them sleep, then nutrition, then working out uh, or training or exercising, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I would, that's what I say in terms of importance because sleep really is a lead domino, right? If you aren't sleeping enough, then it's really hard to like eat with any amount of self-discipline. And it's really like, it. it's way harder to motivate yourself to work out because you just don't have the energy in your body because you haven't slept enough. But what I'll say is that the way I typically, the way it's worked for me uh, and the way that I've helped other guys get started is I do think working out uh, is like, it's kind of like the uh, like the spark that can get everything started. Because if you, if you can like rally up enough motivation to get into a workout habit, then you start to think about, well, okay, I don't want to eat real. I don't want to eat crappy meals because then I'm not going to feel great when I'm working out. Like I want to, I want to be able to work out and feel good while I'm doing it. And then, and so if you, if you work out, then you're going to eat better. And then because you are like committed to working out and committed to focusing more on eating in a healthy way, then you're like, well, I also now need to sleep better. Uh, And, and so it's, you know, it goes in both directions. I'd say like the, the, the real hack on the workout front for dads is um, it's something I call chaos proof workouts. So especially when you have young children and you're trying to be like involved in their life, it is if you're like also a busy professional it's pretty hard to like get that whole hour or two at the gym that you used to have before kids if if like if you worked out at any point prior in your life and and that was your familiar zone that you used to work out in like it's hard to get like two hours in the gym so how like what's the amount of working out that actually will get you results and I, I just think of it as it's called chaos, chaos proof workouts for me. And it's like basically any set of full body movements that you can repeat until you're really tired for like 15 or 20 minutes. 
things like squats, lunges, burpees, push-ups, sit-ups, uh, like, like jumping jacks, like you don't, and then, you know, you can grab some dumbbells or a kettlebell or something too, but there's a lot of different exercises you can do for 15 or 20 minutes, just for high reps with a timer. And you just go until you are exhausted. Uh, and you'll always feel better after. And uh, if they're body weight movements, you, you generally don't need to have a fancy warm up or too much stretching unless you're, you know, getting up into your four, like late forties and fifties. So you can get away with a lot in like 15 or 20 minutes of, of working out. And then that just boosts your metabolism so much um, that, that the, the only other thing you really need to focus on is getting enough walking in, like just staying active, like turning a couple calls that you have during the day into walking calls or like going for a walk with your kid, going for a walk with your wife, um, like going for a walk after a meal, like there are a lot of different ways to just get, get more time outside, more fresh air, more walking, but that'll really add up. And then on the, on the nutrition side, uh, the biggest thing that I typically tell people is to just make their whole day centric around like protein and vegetables. Like every meal, try to eat protein and vegetables first. That doesn't mean you have to eat like, like uh, bland chicken breast and like, steamed broccoli with no seasoning, right? Like it's not, I'm not prescribing a bodybuilder diet. I'm just saying like, if you go to Chipotle, get like, get the meat and stack a bunch of fajitas on there. Uh, and then think about whether you want some beans and rice. Uh, but like make the meal centric around the protein and the veggies. Uh, yeah. And honestly, like those three small changes, if if someone would commit to doing that and like not eating a lot of junk food for three months, you'd see some serious results. It's, it's pretty crazy. Like this, they sound really simple, but if you, if you can do those three things with consistency, uh, you'd be surprised how much your physique can change and, and also your energy levels. Fuck. Yeah. Are you still, are you taking clients? Is that, are you, are you busy at that still? I'm actually not. Um, no. I have, I'm pretty laser focused right now on, um, on preparing my family for an adventure year. Uh, which is something I could tell you more about, but uh, so I'm I'm not actually doing any fitness coaching right now, um, but I'm happy to connect with people if they just want to talk for 30 minutes and uh, and get some advice because I love I love helping new dads as a as kind of a, a passion of mine. Cool. Oh, this has been a this has just been a fucking lovely conversation. Take yeah, take us home with the with the the adventure year. What's I like it. Tell me about it. Well, and maybe maybe this is uh, to be continued on episode two, <laughs> but um, you know we we talked a little bit about um, education and what our kids need to learn, how they how their little souls need to be cultivated, and one of the things that my wife and I have realized recently is you know we're both location independent in our jobs, uh, and we our kids are not at an age yet where they have friendships that they'd feel really uprooted if they uh if if they'd have to leave for a little while and so we decided that we're gonna go uh travel around the world for nine to 12 months and check out a bunch of places that we've heard great things about um and catch up with friends and use the whole experience to meditate on the idea of like where and how do we really want to live do we want to stay in enlisted in a school system um or do we want to homeschool 
do we want to be closer to a city with a lot of friends and community and scene nearby or do we want to be in the wilderness on a piece of land um more you know just in in in, with more quietude um there are a lot of big open decisions like that where we've pondered them for a while but the only way for us to truly know the answer is to go and and see what it feels like for all five of us um so Hmm. that's that's what we're going to go do i love it i love it all right the very last thing i'm going to leave you with it it just kind of as a like modeling a little bit for how we do shit in the in the fatherhood unlocked father's fire and things like that so what is one thing right now what's one action that hasn't been taken yet that you could or need to or would want to take for the betterment of i don't know yourself or your family or the whole the whole big picture like what's what's something that maybe you're sitting Mm. on it maybe you're not sitting on it but what's one thing you want to lean into Mm. this may sound trivial uh but I want to uh I want to open like investment accounts for my kids. Yep. Um yep. it's not trivial. Uh no. It, not it's at all. you know, there are compound interest is a is an insane thing. And I thought I thought it was kind of boring for a while. Uh so I didn't pay a lot of attention to it. And now I've realized like, wow, like if they if my kids have like an investment account that I put like five grand a year into for the next 15, 18 years, like, and then they don't touch it for a while after that, like that's powerful money. Like, I mean, and, and I don't have to do a whole lot. I can automate almost all of it. It might mean we have a little less disposable income year, year over year, but we're not like crazy spenders anyway. So it's just going to look like less cash in the bank. Um, but that's fine because it's cash that's accumulating into legacy wealth. So um, yeah, that that's something that I'm intending to do over the next few months and I've just put off for a while. Fuck yeah, Ted Gonder. This has been absolutely wonderful, man. Um, yeah, blessings to you and your family. Thank you for, for spending this time. It's been a great Thank you for having me on, man. I love catching up with you in this format and uh, yeah, appreciate, appreciate the platform. Yeah, man. Cheers. See you All again. Right, cheers. Thank you, everybody, for sticking this through and listening to these conversations. Please do what you can to share this, share the movement, get involved where you feel called, and keep coming back. Thank you.